We're going to go ahead and continue on through the book of John, the Gospel of John, and we're finally making it to about the middle of chapter 7. Um, I think as Pastor Joseph mentioned last week, we were kind of ironing out all the schedules, and I think about the end of June we'll finally make it all the way through it. And uh, we're going to continue going verse by verse, because how many of you know that uh, uh, we shouldn't skip the parts that are hard? We should actually work our way through them and understand every piece of Scripture. So last week, as Pastor Joseph was, was ministering on this, we found that Jesus was making his way through Galilee. And the scripture says that he was in Galilee because he couldn't walk freely in Judea because all the, the religious leaders were, were wanting to kill him. They wanted him dead. But his disciples had another idea. They said, listen, Jesus, it's the, it's the, the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, this is a big deal. We should head back to Jerusalem. And, and uh, you know, you should be, be out there in the public eye. You shouldn't be trying to stay secret. You know, if you want to be known, you have to get out in front of people. And uh, uh, Jesus knew that this wasn't yet his time. See, how many know that sometimes we need to make room for God's timing and not decide how we want things to go? So Jesus knew this, and he says, you know what? It's not yet my time. And uh, a lot of people get confused in this situation because they're like, well, Jesus just lied. He said he wasn't going to go, and then he went. But really what he was talking about is he wasn't going to go publicly. It wasn't time for him to be out in the public ministry. That was the point he made the disciples. As a matter of fact, and I know uh, if you read the scripture there, it actually says specifically he didn't go publicly, he went privately. That was the focus. That's what he was saying. I don't want to go publicly because he didn't want to be too much in the public eye because if he were to get too much in the public eye, it would start interfering with God's timing. You know, we might have some guards get a little uppity and they want to crucify him before it was time. Amen. So after the disciples left as a big public group to go up to the feast, um, Jesus went privately. He kind of went behind the scenes and he began to preach and teach in the crowds. And, and the, the, the people that were there, the Jewish people there, they were amazed at his teaching. And they, they marveled at his teaching because he was speaking as one with authority, but in their eyes, he had no authority. <laughs> they began to question his credentials. And... Uh, Jesus then begins to criticize their assessment of his authority because they were, they, were, they were missing something. And so Jesus made it clear where his authority had came from. And the reason I just recapped all that because we're going to stem from that discussion of them questioning Jesus' authority, saying, who are you to be teaching these things, to now they're going to begin questioning his identity. And those two kind of go hand in hand. But here's the thing, the people already knew that the authorities wanted to kill Jesus. They knew that they were after him, they knew that they didn't like him, but now he's out teaching publicly in the temple. And they're wondering, wait a minute, if the authorities want to kill him, why are they just letting him preach out publicly? Right? They're confused. It doesn't make any sense to them. Because they, they figured, well, maybe if they're letting him preach, then maybe they believe that he is the Christ. And also they had this idea that the, the Christ, the Messiah, was going to come in secret. He was just going to like, you know, pop out of a hole one day and, and be the Messiah. And these folks are like, wait a minute. How can you be the Messiah that we expect to appear suddenly when we, we know who you are? Some of us even know your parents. We saw you grew up. So the problem is, is they're beginning to question his identity as well as his authority. But we're going to see that even though many questions, some began to believe, which is actually a real big problem for the authorities, right? 
when you have people starting to believe in somebody you want to shut down, you don't want them to, 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 to follow, then they have to do something. They have to, 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 to jump into action. So as a result of this, everyone's talking about Jesus. Some people are starting to believe the Pharisees and the religious leaders, the, 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 the authorities in the temple, they gather the temple guard and they send them after Jesus because they don't want him teaching anymore. They finally spring into action. And at this point is when we hear Jesus tell them, listen, I'm only going to be here with you guys for a little while longer. And where I'm going, you can't follow. Because he was returning to the one who sent them. And it's interesting, in, in all this time, even with his disciples, even with, with the people that are around him, everybody's eyes are focused on Jesus. But Jesus' eyes are focused on his heavenly mission. He's focused on the cross. Everything that he responds to that he talks about today is because he understands his divine mission. And he understands that it's in God's timing he's going to go and give up his life. He's focused on the cross when everyone else is just focused on him. So let's go ahead and get started with the first verses. In John 7, 25, oh, and I got good news today. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a little bit of a short one today for all of you guys that are already thinking about lunch. If you're already thinking about lunch right now, you know, it's good news for you. But anyway, 7, 25 through 26 says, Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So here they are, they see Jesus, they know about Jesus, they know the authorities don't like him, and Jesus now is at the temple speaking publicly. He's not trying to hide himself. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought he said he didn't want to go publicly. No, he didn't want to go as this big announced group. It wasn't this big announced public thing. He made his way privately. But when he's preaching in the temple, it's not like he's trying to hide. They see him there preaching. So he's, up, he's, he's preaching publicly, and the, and the people begin to become amazed that he's preaching and I imagine there was some amazement at what he was preaching, but the thing that they were most amazed about was that he was preaching, and the temple guards, that the authorities, the religious leaders, they're just letting him preach. You know, they had heard that the religious leaders were seeking to kill him, but now they're a little bit confused. They're like, wait a minute. We know the religious leaders don't like him. We know that they want to kill him. Why are they letting him preach in the temple? Why are they letting him do this? If they wanted to kill them, why are they not doing anything? And he's not even trying to hide. He's just out there openly. He's not trying to hide at all. And not only were they not trying to arrest him, they weren't even trying to stop him from teaching. They weren't even kicking him off the stage. They were just letting him go. And this begins to make them wonder if the religious leaders had maybe changed their mind. Like, well, wait a minute. If they're letting him preach, then maybe they're agreeing with what he's saying. And I get this to an extent because, and even though we talked about a few weeks ago that, that preaching in the temple was a little bit more open than, say, preaching in churches today. But you guys would rightly assume that if I let somebody come up here and preach, that I'm in agreement with what they're going to preach. As a matter of fact, I have a responsibility for whoever comes up here and preaches, which is why I don't just let anybody come up here and do it. I actually make sure that I know them and I have a relationship with them and I know what they're going to preach, just the other day, and actually quite often, I get messages from folks in other countries, and I got some, uh, a message from, from somebody in, the, in the, the Middle East, and I forget exactly where it was, 
but he reaches out and, 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 you know, they shower me with compliments and they want to be my friend and, you know, they, they want to have some sort of relationship and I get them all the time. Right. And, and I usually just ignore them because everyone that I've actually responded to goes out like this, like, Oh, we love you. We want to have a relationship. And then two days later, I get a laundry list of all the stuff that they want me to give them, you know? So this guy, he reaches out and <laughs> so I just told him that I said, you know, um, every time somebody reaches out, you know, they, they say they want to have a relationship with me, but really they just want me to send them stuff. He goes, oh no, we just want you to come out. I said, we just want to, you know, have a relationship. I said, okay, well, I'll tell you what, if, if uh, I'm ever out to where you're at, I'll look you up, we'll meet, I'll get to know your church, I'll get to know your, your ministry, and, and, and we'll go from there. And he says, oh, that'll be great. And he says, uh, he says, we'll love to have you preach, we'll, we'll set up uh, big uh, rallies and prayer meetings and all this stuff. And I said, I said, have you ever heard me preach? And he says, well, no, that's why we want you to come out. We want to hear it. I said, that's pretty dangerous for you to ask me to come out and preach if you don't know who I am and you've never heard me preach. I said, don't you know that you'll be held accountable for whatever I come and say because you let me speak to your church. So it's always odd to me that they do stuff like this because if, if, if they really have it in a church, they're going to be held accountable. What if they let some, some crazy person come on there and say all kinds of nonsense? Now they're, they're letting those people teach. So rightfully so, these folks are assuming that if the, the, the officials are letting Jesus preach, then they must agree with him. So they're really, they're really confused. And the problem is, is that they're, having, they're coming across a line of thinking that I think that many of us get in alignment with as well, and it's one that we have to be careful with. And it's this idea that if it is permitted, then it must be approved. Now, in this case, they're misunderstanding the, the religious leaders of the time, but how many know that we do this very same thing with God? We go, well, if God permits something, it must be approved. You know, that's one of the biggest arguments against God because they say, well, if there's evil in this world... God permits it, so it must be approved by God. But that's just entirely not the case. How many know that there's sin in this world, but God doesn't approve of sin? There are many things that are permitted that are not approved. And even Paul says that, that all things are permitted, but not all things are profitable for you. So we have to be careful to not get in the same line of thinking even when we're speaking about God because it's, I think it's, it, it's, it's, it's part of that, uh, the nature of who we are, the fallen nature of being a human. We get wrapped up in thinking, well, if they let it happen, it must be okay. But that's, that's not always the case. But now we have them, they're, they're confused. It's this, they, they kind of have, it seems like a simple logic, right? Um, if, if Jesus is a deceiver and a liar, then he should be arrested, and if Jesus is the Messiah, then we should accept him. But that's the logic they're following. And if you go on to verse 27, it says, But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So here's the interesting thing. They're confused about the officials not letting him preach like wait a minute why are they letting him preach i thought they wanted to kill him they now that maybe they think he is the messiah but wait a minute we have some objections of our own to him being the messiah and the first thing is is that they the jewish people at this time they believed that the messiah would be completely unknown until his public appearing i don't know if they thought he was going to be he was just going to materialize as the messiah or if he was going to be living in a cave somewhere i'm not sure uh, what was supposed to happen but at this point, 
they've all known Jesus. They know of Jesus. They know of people that knew his family. They knew where he grew up. And they're saying, wait a minute, the Messiah is just supposed to appear. And uh, I forgot to write the, where this is located. It's actually not in any of the, uh, uh, the, the books that, that we recognize as the books of the Bible. There's other teachings in Jewish literature that uh, <clears throat> they don't consider necessarily canonical, uh, canonical but they, they still use them for, for studying. And that's where you maybe can find some of these ideas that the Messiah is just going out to the, out of the wind someday. The problem was is that Jesus didn't just appear one day, right? They, they knew him. He was, he, was, he was a man from Galilee. They knew where he was from. He was their neighbor. They knew he was a carpenter. Some of them knew his parents. They, they knew him from when he was a little kid. And the, this idea that the, the Messiah would just suddenly appear was just as incorrect as the mistaken idea that the Messiah was going to only be a, a political hero, a, a political rescuer that's going to rescue them um, as a great general or a leader from the, the oppression that they were facing. If he showed up then, they, were, they figured the Messiah would rescue them from the oppression of the Roman Empire. So the... Their, their understanding of, of how he would appear was just as mistaken as their understanding of who he would be when he appeared. And the problem is, is they didn't really know him. All they knew was the stuff that they could see from the surface. He was from Galilee. He was a carpenter. He had regular parents. We saw him grow up. But what they didn't know was that he was sent by God. They didn't know that he was born of a virgin. They didn't know that when he was born, he was heralded by angels. They didn't know that the shepherds heard from the angels who he was and, and they went and considered him divine and they bowed down and worshipped him. They didn't know that wise men traveled from, 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 some say it probably took them like three years to get to Jesus when they first saw the star. They traveled for several years to see the king. They didn't know that when Jesus went to the temple, he, he met uh, to be, uh, as a baby, he met Simeon, who had been told by God that he would see the Christ before he died, and he recognized Jesus as such. They didn't know that Jesus stood in front of the, uh, as a baby, and was in front of the prophetess Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, who would see Jesus at the temple and recognize him as the redemption of Jerusalem. They say, we know where this man comes from. They're trying to say, we know this man. But the problem is, is they didn't know that what we know. They didn't know all those things that I just described to you. They didn't know that he was more than just a man, that he was more than just a Galilean. He was more than just a carpenter. He was God made flesh, born of a virgin, come to redeem the entire world, to save us all. They thought they knew him. But they had no idea. And because of this, they're thinking, well, wait a minute, he surely can't be the Messiah because we know him and the Messiah is just going to show up. Have you ever noticed it's when you get weird ideas in your head, it can influence how you interpret every other event in your life? That's what's happening. They already had an idea of what was supposed to happen, so they made everything that they read, they made everything that they knew fit what their current interpretation was. It's one of the reasons why that uh, I keep telling us is something that God's put on my heart recently is to stop evaluating the word, or, word of God by our experience, but instead maybe we should start evaluating our experience by what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God is the authority, amen? Not what we think or what we feel. But they just didn't know who Jesus was. 
And then in verse 28 through 29, it says, Jesus, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me, but you know, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So Jesus is aware of these assumptions that they're making, and he begins to correct them as he's teaching in the temple. And he responded to what they thought they knew of him. These preconceived ideas of who he was, they had already formed in their head, he responds to them. And he says, you know what, yeah, you know me, you know where I come from, you know where I grew up, you know my parents, but they were missing something super important. They missed the part where I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. They missed the part that he was sent. You know, he wasn't just some kid that grew up and decided one day, like, I think I want to be the Messiah. No, he was sent. This was all ordained by God. He was sent by God. And he says, not only do you not know that I was sent, but you don't even know the one that sent me. And that's a pretty harsh statement. He says, listen, I'm not here of my own accord. I'm not on here of my own volition. I was sent by God. I'm on a mission, a divine mission. So not only do they not know who sent him, that he was sent, they don't even know the one who sent him. They had knowledge of God, but they didn't really know God. They were, they were missing something in between. Now, something that's been interesting for me, one of the most difficult things, I've been, as most of you guys know, I've been learning Spanish. I work for a company that's owned, uh, uh, the, the, the mother company is in Mexico, and I've been working there a lot more lately, and so I'm trying to learn Spanish. And one of the things that's uh, difficult for me about Spanish is one of the, the, the most, actually, I, I think once I learn it, it'll be one of the most amazing things about Spanish. And, and, and let me give you an example. Let's talk about the word love. In English, we have one word for love, and it's love, right? You can say, I love pizza, or I love my kids, or I love my wife, or I love God. And it's the same word, but they're different meanings, different levels of love, right? So in, in Spanish, and I haven't dove into it uh, too deeply yet, I'm actually excited. I want to, you know, in the scripture where, where uh, uh, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, do you love me, Peter? And we find out that there's multiple words in the Greek used for love, and it starts from like a regular brotherly love, and it ends up with the, uh, the agape love, which is a godly love. And I'm, I haven't got there yet, but I'm excited to see how the Spanish translations do it because they have different words for love too with different levels. And, and uh, I hope that I see that difference in, in the way they translate it. Well, another word that is different in Spanish than in, than in English is, is to know something. And there's actually, um, there's at least two, there might be more, I obviously don't know all the words in Spanish, but there's at least two words for know. And there's saber, uh, which is to, to have knowledge of something, right? Saber, saber is to, to uh, uh, like if you, if you know a skill, right? It's, it's knowledge of something. But then there's, then there's conocer, which is to, uh, uh, to, to be familiar with somebody, to know somebody. So like if you, if you knew how to, a, a skill, you, it would be saber, but if it was to, to know a person, it's conocer. 
So I imagine, and, and I, I could be wrong, so any of you Spanish speakers out there, I know we have a bunch. If I'm wrong, forgive me. But in my mind, at least as I see these different words, there's a difference to, to, to uh, uh, saber, to say, to say uh, uh, you know of Jesus, right? If I were to say, sabes de Jesus, I would say, you know of Jesus. But if I were to say, conoces a Jesus, that means that you know Jesus, right? In English, we just have one word. It's just know. But in Spanish, it's multiple words that we translate to English to know. And, and I find that very interesting that in Spanish, at least in this case, you're, you're able to articulate yourself much better because you have more words for it instead of the same one. All we do is know of or know. And it's the same word. And I think that's what's happening here is, 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 is Jesus is saying, listen, you know of God, but you don't know God. You're missing the point, right? And it's even hard to explain in English. I'm like, you just said the same thing, Pastor Wayne. That's why hopefully with other languages, maybe I can say it better. I have more words to say it correctly. But I think that's what he's saying here. He says, listen, you know me, you know where I come from, but you don't know me. You know, you know of uh, he who sent me is true, but you don't even know him. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute, you're saying you're sent by God? Of course we know God. He's like, no, you know of God, but you don't know God. Obviously, you're missing the point. You're missing something there. They didn't understand what was important. And unfortunately, the people couldn't know Jesus because they didn't know the one who sent him. So then in John 7.20, or sorry, uh, 7.30, it says, So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So apparently, they got a little upset at what Jesus just said. You don't even know the one who sent me. You guys are missing something. Apparently, they got a little upset. And, and and when it says here they were seeking to arrest him, the, the Greek word here actually is, is the word used for seize. They were seeking to seize him. And when we see the word arrest, we automatically think the authorities. But they haven't even mentioned the authorities yet. This is just the Jewish people. They're getting ready to perform a citizen's arrest. They're, they're, they're a little irritated with Jesus, what he just said. And this is in contrast to the next verse that we're going to read where we actually see the temple guard show up to arrest Jesus. But it appears that many who were listening couldn't accept Jesus' authority and they were rejecting his identity as well. Or they took offense of what they said about him, of what he had said about them and the Father. But for whatever reason, they had had enough. So it says they were seeking to arrest him. They wanted him seized. They wanted him arrested. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. God was still making sure that his plan was in motion. You see, and we all know the rest of the story, right? We know that there is a time when Jesus will be arrested. He will be seized. We know that time is coming. But God has a plan for when that's going to happen. He's ready for when that's going to happen. And this was not the time. So even though they wanted him arrested, even though they were gearing up to do a citizen's arrest, they're getting ready to take, care, take matters into their own hands. Scripture says no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And in verse 31, it says, Yet many of the people believed in him, and they said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? And the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering, and these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees and officers 
to arrest him. So while there was quite a few who did not believe, and like we just talked about, they just kind of had their own little, little riot and were ready to, to go grab Jesus and arrest him, there were many that did believe. And the truth is, is that if you just take a step back and look at Jesus' life so far, there's a lot of good reasons to believe. The reality is, is Jesus is doing miracles. He's out there fulfilling prophecies. And obviously he hasn't fulfilled them all yet, but I once read that when it comes to the odds of, of uh, uh, somebody fulfilling every prophecy that Jesus does to, f- to fulfill all of them, I forget the exact number, but I remember how they described the odds. It's, it's one in this number. If you took um, quarters and you covered the entire um, state of Texas with quarters, it would be something like four inches deep of quarters. That number, one in that number, is the odds of somebody fulfilling all the prophecies Jesus Christ did. So now we have Jesus. He's fulfilling the signs. He's doing these things. And, and they have evidence. They're like, wait a minute. If the Messiah does come, is he actually going to do more than what this man has done? So they're, they're starting to think that, that he's shown a lot of evidence that he is the Christ. And they wondered if anyone else could compare. So they began to believe in him. But the unfortunate thing is that, that we know, knowing the rest of the story, that their, that their faith, that their belief is quite precarious. Because we know that when Jesus comes in Jerusalem the next time before he's crucified, everybody is worshiping him. But then three days later, they're all yelling, crucify him. This, this belief is, is tenuous at best. You know, and it's one of the reasons why um, we have to be careful and understand where faith comes from. You know, if, if God does a miracle, that's pretty awesome. And hopefully that'll at least start the conversation and get somebody ready to come in and believe in him. But the miracle is not going to save anybody. Your testimony is the same way. By all means, share your testimony because it gives you an opportunity to share the word of God and minister to people. But your testimony can't save anyway, anybody. Matter of fact, it's why so many people fall away from the faith when a pastor fails because their faith was actually somehow wrapped up in this leader, this pastor, instead of actually being focused on Christ. So these people's belief right now is it's, it's wrapped up in this, the miracles that he's done, but they're still kind of missing the point. And we know that because as we continue through this, we'll see them all fall away as they begin yelling, crucify him. So faith built on only seeing miracles is fleeting. But I guess the murmuring, the talk about people believing in Jesus was enough to put the Pharisees over the edge. You know, if you read, many times the Pharisees wanted to arrest Jesus, but the reason that they didn't is they were afraid of the crowds because they believed in him or they believed in what he was saying. But apparently this finally put them over the edge. And they've overcome their fear of the crowd and they send in officers it says the pharisees heard the crowds muttering these things about him what are the things about him then he appears will the christ do more signs they're beginning to believe and the chief priests and pharisees sent officers to arrest him so the first time it was the crowd getting riled up but this time the 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 chief priests and the pharisees they actually send in the temple guard to go and arrest jesus And as this is happening, in verse 33, it says, Jesus said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. 
I don't know how you guys read the Bible, but sometimes I try to think about what's happening in this situation. So this is what I'm picturing in my head. I think this is kind of a surreal situation. We have Jesus preaching. We have the crowds getting upset and riled up. Matter of fact, they're so riled up that, that many of them want to arrest him. Some are believing, but many want to arrest him. The crowd is just murmuring. And so this isn't a quiet scene, right? This isn't like right now where I'm preaching and you guys are just quietly listening. I imagine this is, it's a little hectic in there, right? And on top of that, now we have the Pharisees and the, 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 the chief priests getting upset. And now they're bringing in the temple guard. So now we've got the temple guard coming in and they're getting ready to arrest Jesus and I don't know how I would handle that situation. Maybe if I was Jesus, I'd be trying to get away or trying to hide a little bit. Or, but it's it just like he just calmly keeps on going. He just preaches. Like he doesn't even bother him. It's, I almost got like his picture in my head, and, and obviously this is what the word says, but this is in my head, right? You know, they, got, they grab him each in one arm, and they're carrying him off. But like he's looking this way, they're walking, and he just keeps preaching as they're carrying him off or something. I'm not, I'm not sure. But he just calmly goes on. He says, Jesus said, I'll be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to be with him who sent me. He just keeps on preaching calmly. And not only does he keep on preaching calmly, but he just keeps on preaching calmly, telling them basically about his death, his upcoming death, right? That's what he's talking about. And he just keeps, and it's almost like this calm warning that he's giving them. And notice the words that he uses as well, right? He doesn't say, you know, they're taking me right now, they're going to kill me. He says, no, listen, I'll be with you a little longer and then I'm going to him who sent me. The impression that you're getting is that this entire situation is in Jesus' control. There's nothing that's surprising him. There's nothing that, that he's worried about. He understands what the plan was because he was sent for this very purpose. And the entire thing is in his control. This was his plan. He intends to return to the Father. That's why the scripture says that he gave his life up. Nobody took Jesus' life from him. It was always a plan, and he gave it freely. And he's making it clear to everybody there that says, listen, no matter what happens, what, about, what is about to happen, it was my plan, not theirs. And he says, you know what? And he, he warns them. He says, you know what? If you're going to continue looking for me, you're going to be seeking to find me, and you're not going to be able to find me. Because where I'm going, you can't come. And when he's saying that you're going to seek me, I think he's more saying you're going to be seeking the Messiah. He's recognizing himself as a Messiah. They're going to continue looking for the Messiah. Once they took Jesus away, even once he dies on the cross, the Jews will continue seeking the Messiah. Matter of fact, to this day, they're still seeking the Messiah. But Jesus says, look, where I'm going, I'm going to him who sent me, and you're going to continue to seek me, but you will not find me. The reason why they're not going to find him is the Messiah already came. The Messiah already came to do the job that he was sent to do. So they're still looking for somebody that's already come and gone. And then it says, where I'm going, you cannot come. Because they didn't believe that he was the Messiah, that meant that they could never follow him to where he's at. See, here's the thing. To reject Jesus' identity is to reject his salvation. If you don't believe that he is who he says he is, then it's impossible to believe on him for salvation. 
If you reject him as the Messiah, then you reject the ability for you to even have faith in him for salvation. And that's the problem they're running into. He says, listen, you'll seek me, you'll not, you will not find me, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And that's true for every person that is alive today or has ever died, that has ever lived. If you don't put your trust in him, you cannot go where he is gone. And that's the problem. These people that didn't believe in him, he says, listen, I'm with you a little while longer, but I'm going back to who I sent, and you're going to keep on looking for me, even though they didn't realize they had already found him. And because of that, because they're going to keep seeking the Messiah, when the Messiah already came, they're going to find themselves in a position that they can't follow him because they don't believe he was the Messiah and they haven't put their trust and faith in him. And then we'll finish up here today with verses 35 and 36. It says, The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me? Where I am, you cannot come. I don't know if you've noticed a theme as we've made our way through the book of John so far, the Gospel of John. But every time Jesus speaks, the crowd responds in a manner that demonstrates they completely misunderstand what he's saying. Every time. They're like, wait a minute. Where does this man intend to go that we won't find him? Does he intend to? So now they're, I guess they're looking out thinking he's going to make a jailbreak, you know, or, or run away and hide. But he says, is he going to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So there's two things being mentioned here. The dispersion among the Greeks was when the, uh, uh, when the Jews were dispersed. They weren't always just in one community. They were actually, there was a lot of the, the dispersion of the Greeks that were spread out all along the, the heathen lands with the Greeks and with the Romans and all those. So one they ask, is he going to go, um, uh, intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks or does he go to teach the Greeks? This word Greeks here is actually describing not just the Greeks, it would be the Greeks and the Romans and basically everyone who is not a Jew. It's basically saying, is he going to leave us and go into the to the dispersion and then preach to the heathen is that his plan to get away from all of this and they just completely missed the point and that was the reason right because they didn't actually know god they were actually they were actually asserting their experience and their understanding onto the word of god instead of understanding the word of god as 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 what it actually is so they've already decided that, that, he, that he, it's got to be something else. They're not even open to the idea of what he just told them. And then he says, what does he mean that you will not find me where I am? You cannot come. And I already talked about that in the last scriptures, but basically what he means is, is that, listen, you can't find something that's already been found. You can't find something that's already come. They can continue looking for the Messiah until Jesus comes back again. And they're not going to know him until he comes back again because he's already come. And because of that, because they don't accept him as the Messiah, because they, don't, they reject his identity, it's impossible to put faith in him for salvation. And as a result, they cannot go where he has went. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I'm so thankful to God that is not the case for those who believe. We're not in a situation where we can't go where he has gone because we put our trust and faith in him. 
He has made us brand new. He has removed our sin from us, but not only are we forgiven of our sin, we have a new spirit inside of us. We are made brand new. 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 17, I think, says, is the one where it says that we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, new has come. We are brand new. He has remade us, and because of that, we actually get to go where he is gone. We get to be with our Savior for eternity. Amen.